I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, April 17th, 2021, and this is episode 116 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So just a reminder, if you have any questions for me for a future Q&A show, I might incorporate uh, Q&A into all of the shows because I have gotten quite a few. <laughs> but if you ha- also have questions for me, uh, email me at podcast at lpenelope.com and I will answer them. So this week's best thing is that tomorrow is my birthday. April 18th is my birthday and I think it's a good thing for this week. I don't have any special rituals or anything. I mean, it's the second pandemic birthday for me. So um, not like I would have a party anyway. (laughs) But the other best thing this week is that I have my first vaccination. My arm currently feels like a grown man punched me in it since I had it yesterday. Like I was like, oh, I feel pretty good. You know, it's a little bit sore, but I was sore anyway from working out. And then over the course of the day, it got more and more sore. And then this morning I was like, ooh. Okay. And I imagine this is how it would feel if a grown man punched me. I've never been punched by a grown man or really anyone. So let's knock on wood. (laughs) That continues. But uh, yeah, at first it was like regular soreness. I couldn't really differentiate it from the rest of my body because I had a very hard workout on Wednesday. And then it it did get worse. But that's, that's been it so far. So I feel grateful and lucky. Um, and so anyway, because of that, uh, Everyone in my family, my husband, my brother, my mom, her partner, everyone I would want to see with regularity, even though my brother lives far away, is vaccinated. And so one day travel can begin and I don't feel any guilt whatsoever in seeing them. So my birthday celebration will be low key with family, but uh, I'm very happy to see another year. I'm ending my tenure as uh, the same year as The Secret of the Universe, according to Douglas Adams. And I guess I'm entering the end of my early 40s. <laughs> Let's call it that. I am slowly practicing thinking of myself as being 50. Now it's like, what, seven years away, but it's never too early to start thinking about it. <laughs> anyway, in writing news... This week, I have been plotting my new project and revising, doing the final pass of the heist story. I reread the whole heist story, and I texted my friends. And I was like, I really like this book. I think I've done a good job. And they're like, did someone steal Leslie's phone? Who is this person? Because that is not how I usually act about my work. Like, But I was feeling really good about it through the read-through. And uh, there's a, a couple of little tweaks that I have to make, but nothing major. And I'm really excited to see what my editor will have to say about it because I feel good about it. I'm sure there's room for improvement, obviously, but like I literally have gotten to the end of what I can do on my own. And so, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, how do you know when you're done with a manuscript? Ideally, when you feel like this, like you feel like you've put it all in there and you've gotten as far as you can get. Now other people are going to have feedback and maybe it will spark something in you where you'll agree or you'll disagree. But uh, I really feel good about where I am now and the, the editorial feedback will only improve it. That is the hope. <laughs> the editorial feedback will only improve it and um, show me blind spots that I've got for the story and just open up some ideas of, of you know, positive directions for the story to go in. For the new project, um, 
the paranormal romance shifter story that I'm going to be self-publishing, I got a little excited. I was like, oh, I'm doing a five book series. Yes. And I still want to do a long series. Like I, I do have this idea of doing like one of those long paranormal romance series, sort of like a, a Diane Duvall. Like I, I, she's an auto buy for me and her, um, Immortal Guardians. I mean, a lot of these series that people still read were started a long time ago. But I think, you know, start as you mean to go on. So I would love to have that. I've decided to plan it in a series of trilogies. So instead of, like, my first idea was to plan five books. And I was like, okay, let's just plan three books. Three books is manageable. I've never actually written a trilogy. uh, And I I think it would be interesting another interesting challenge to do that. It would be a different couple per book in this paranormal romance. I'm still not a huge fan of the single couple over multiple books. Um, There's a couple that I read, but in general, it's not my favorite thing to read, and I don't have any desire to write that at this point in time. So I don't know if they would actually be standalones. Like Once again, my, my template for this new series is also the Ars Numina series by Annie Gary. And I guess that could be all standalones, but it's much, it makes much more sense just to read them in order. I don't think I'm going to be overly concerned about making them standalones. That is one of the other problems with my Angel series. Um, so the, there's two books in the Angel series that are out. They are actually both standalones. It's similar to Earthsinger Chronicles where they're parallel stories. They kind of happen at the same time and they're different couples, but you could maybe read them in different orders, but like, I think it makes much more sense to go one, two. Um, but another one of the many problems with the third angel book that is not out yet is that it's very difficult to make that story a standalone. And when I was actively working on it, I was really trying to do that. So I want to learn from past, I don't want to call them the mistakes, but past uh, struggles and not be overly concerned about making each book really stand on its own. Like, I'm sure you could figure it out if you started at book three, but I'll plan it for the people who are not chaos monsters and who are going to read them in order. And even though I want a long series, I think having groups of trilogies with, you know, sort of a connected story arc that comes to an end, but opens the door for the next one makes a lot of sense. So I have... I'm planning, obviously, the most on book one, because that's the one I'm going to start writing. But I wanted to know the arc of all three of them, and the characters and the um, the basic struggles. And then I've got the basic ideas of the second trilogy. And I'm not going to go past that right now. I have like a sentence or two about what the arc of the third trilogy could be. Because, you know, you have to sort of plan, plan the villains. And then if the villain is going to be defeated in one, then the next villain has to show up so to push you forward. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of things at the same time. And it's a lot of fun because I've never done this before. I mean, Ursinger Chronicles technically is seven books with the novellas, but I didn't plan them out ahead of time with any sort of detail. It was like, okay, these are the four books. These are the four couples. This is where it ends. This is kind of what happens in each book. The, the novellas came as like, oh, well, it would be really cool to learn about this piece of backstory and this piece of backstory and how they got to where they were. But, um, it wasn't a detailed planning process by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm trying my hand at that. And I don't want to get too detailed because I do know things change. And so this is all just another grand experiment. Like, can I plan, plan loosely, you know, two trilogies with room for more that would be one series? But because um, I don't think you'd be able to start the second trilogy. Like, you don't start at book four again. I'm just calling them that in my mind so I can organize the sort of the, the, the larger plot thread where this 
one problem is the concern of the first three books. And then each book is its own entry and its own, you know, couple that gets together. Um, so yeah, it's kind of been what's on my mind this week and what I've been working on. So I've got a good outline, a good synopsis of the first book. And I'm going to start fast drafting it this coming week. And I have my eye on a target release date that I'm not going to share yet, but it's on my Gantt chart. All the all the target release dates are on the Gantt chart, of course, that I talked about last week. Planning the schedule really helped ground me, and it's like I wish I could write them faster, but it will already be – it's already sort of an aggressive schedule that I'm interested to see if I can if I can meet. But yeah, it's really invigorating. And I'm diving back into like self-publishing knowledge, which I haven't really paid attention to in the past few years. And I'm not, I don't have the time or mental space to fully focus on it, but I know that there's plenty of info out there for when I'm ready to start like marketing and all of that stuff. And that is daunting and exhausting to contemplate. So right now, yeah, I'm I'm really like, I've got to write the book, of course, before I can market it. But I have part of the process of writing the synopsis so that I can create the outline so I can write the book is writing the blurb. So I do have a, a basic version of the book blurb, like the back cover copy. And I think that helps to organize the plot. Like actually, when I was writing the blurb, I made a, a, a decision. I'd been waffling about some of the backstory aspects of the main character. And I was like, well, this would sound really great in the blurb. So if I make this decision, that's, you know, it makes the blurb really pop. I'm like, okay, yeah, that'll be it. That's her backstory now. Maybe that's a mistake. I don't know, but it feels right at the moment. I remember hearing interviews from authors about how, you know, they'd have to write the hook at the beginning. They write their ads first and then they write the book because once they know they have a good hook for the ad, then they know they can sell the book. It's an interesting concept. Uh, I already had the story, but it was just like, if I can use marketing ideas to make decisions, and I'm saying that it sounds really bad and mercenary, but I think it sounds smart and savvy from a business perspective. And you're always sort of pulled in different directions. If I if it, if it was something like, oh, I'm changing the whole story because of this marketing thing, that wouldn't feel right to me. I did change the story and hone it and sort of whittle it down because A, I had talked previously about it was just out of control, like the world building had gotten away from me. <laughs> and B, I really want to write a romance. And there was too much plot. And I love plot. And I think that plot is important. And there's still a lot of plot in this book. Like I haven't, I haven't taken it all out. But when I had to trim some of the excess world building, I wanted to streamline it. I wanted it to be about these two people in this world, battling the forces that they're battling, but also showing them falling in love. And romance is always sort of the, the last thing I think about, even though I really want to make sure it's in my books. Whenever I talk to um, my friend Inez about the story, she's like, okay, but, but where's the romance? And I'm like, oh, well, it's in there. Like, I didn't tell you about it. Like, I was talking about the, the enemy and the fighting and the monsters, but <laughs> trust me, the romance is there. She's like, mm-hmm, yeah. So when I was doing this, knowing that that's kind of how I approach things, I wanted to put the romance forward and... I did make certain decisions in the, the synopsis that pushed that forward and tried to enhance that, which is also something I haven't necessarily done before. Like, 
consciously at this point in the process. I feel like the romance gets in there in my books, and there'll always be a plot. Like I, I don't know if that I could write one of those books where it's where like very little happens and it's just like people just live their lives and and fall in love and sort of have mostly internal conflicts. That's just not as interesting to me as a writer. I don't mind reading it. Like people who are good at that can do it really well. I don't think that that's my strength. So it's still going to be a lot of plot, but also I'm trying to make these 70,000 words. And so I was like trimming, trimming, like this sounds too long. They don't need to do this, like focus on the plot and the romance. And that is my goal. Also, I will be releasing the Ersinger Chronicles novellas in a month or so. And so I finalized the cover for that. I actually licensed some artwork that I'd found online. So I contacted the artist and asked if it would be okay for me to use it as a book cover or we agreed on a price. And so that worked well. Um, so that is for the third novella for um, Echoes of Ash and Tears, which was in the anthology. So it didn't have its own cover. So I'm going to actually release that one as a standalone once the we agreed on a time period of like six months of it being exclusive in the anthology. And then also, I'm going to release my, my collection of the novellas in print and ebook. For a while, I wasn't sure about releasing Echoes on its own, because I'm going to do the collection and it's already been available. But it really wasn't that much more effort to get a cover this way, as opposed to commissioning a cover, which I've done for the first two novellas. I commissioned an artist who did the illustrations of the novella covers. And I just, that takes a lot of time. And I I want to release this in May. So I was like, well, I don't really have time. And I had, I'd found this art, it'd been on my Pinterest board. So I was like, well, let me just see if I can, you know, get a decent price for it and not have to go through the commissioning process, which is actually, you know, wasn't that the price wasn't that big of a difference. It's just figuring out to tell them what I want, where I was like, well, this is basically what I want. The style is a little bit different than the other two, um, but they're already different from the main books because I'm self-publishing them and I couldn't get the same artist who did the uh, the novel covers. So I've been going in a slightly different direction with the novellas. Um, I like them. They make me happy. <laughs> and so... Now I'm just sort of designing the collection, ebook and print covers, um, getting the, te- the text for the, the cover of Echoes, because I do the typography on them, and just kind of planning what I'm going to do for that release. It's going to be kind of low-key because, you know, the novellas have been available elsewhere. I think this is just for the diehards who want a print version and who might want an ebook version and the people in the future who will be coming to the novellas, I think. So yeah, those are kind of two biggish self-publishing tasks that are going on right now. But it's good. It's good to get back into it and to, to focus on this stuff. Have something for me that I can control everything and exert that control energy that I don't have with the trad books. In healthy writer news, um, I've been having a problem with my ulnar nerves. So about a week and a half ago, I noticed that my elbows were numb and my pinkies were numb on both hands. I thought, well, that's very odd. And my husband, who is a doctor, was here, but he was in meetings all day. And I was like, he needs to get out of meetings so I can ask him what the hell is wrong with my elbows. So I Googled it, of course, and I figured out, which he confirmed when he was finally free of his meetings, that it's my ulnar nerve. I think it's cubital tunnel syndrome. We've all heard of carpal tunnel. I'd never heard of cubital tunnel. But carpal tunnel affects your thumb and your first few fingers, and the cubital tunnel holds the ulnar nerve 
and this is, don't quote me on this, but this is what I remember from what I read, and affect your pinky and part of your ring finger. So apparently, being on the computer, typing all that all day long, and then reading my Kindle, holding my Kindle up to my face, like for hours every night, uh, has impacted my ulnar nerve. And it's, it's, it's just a weird feeling. It's a little bit of tingly, like when you hit your funny bone, and then it's a little bit of weird numbness, and then a little bit of weakness. It's a lot going on. And you know, I've had wrist problems in the past, which have been mostly okay. They've been slowly, they're not a hundred percent, but I don't know if they ever will be a hundred percent from when I sprained both of my wrists two years ago, but I've been able to do what I need to do until this new problem. So my solution has been so far to, you know, I've already was very cognizant of my ergonomics sitting here at this computer. Uh, I got a new chair recently and I already have a sit stand desk. So being even more just aware of my positioning, like legs at 90 degrees, arms at 90 degrees. But part of the problem with this is having your arms at 90 degrees is part of what's causing the problem with my nerve. And I think even more so has been the reading. Like I do, I I stepped up my reading the past couple of months um, and just, just been reading a lot, like every night and holding the Kindle up because I take my glasses off. So I can actually see the text and I hold the Kindle pretty close to my face. So I've had to change my behaviors, um, take more rests. I do have a rest timer on my computer that I've been using for eye strain, like every 20 minutes, look 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And there's a program for the Mac called rest that allows you to set a timer. So every 20 minutes I have that. And then once an hour, it rests, it, it pulls up a rest for a minute. And usually I just do the 20 seconds and I cancel the rest of the minute. And that's what I had been doing. And I was like, okay, I need to actually take my minute, stand up if I'm sitting, um, walk around, like make my arms, um, take my arms off of the desk, rest them, stretch them. And then in the evenings, not holding my Kindle. So I've had to really reposition myself for reading so that I'm not holding the device up and causing additional stress. So whatever I can do to um, keep my arms in a different position than what I have been keeping them is what I've been trying to do. And that's the first step. So I'm going to see, you know, if I can address this through changing my behavior, through additional stretching. And I already have my regular doctor appointment in a few weeks. So if it's not clearing up or improving by then, then I'll look into other options like physical therapy. I was like, I do not want to have to go into physical therapy again. As much as I love my physical therapist and she's helped me with everything I've gone to her for, I was like, I was just thinking, it's been a year since I've been out of physical therapy and I'm really enjoying not being back in. But I also believe that physical therapists are like magicians because they fix me. They fix my knees, they fix my wrists to the degree that they can be fixed. So just a note to uh, all of you desk workers out there to... Be very vigilant about your ergonomics. Uh, I'm sure not everyone's body is not as delicate as mine apparently is. But there was room for more diligence, I guess. Like the resting thing, I don't always rest. I I like to do deep work, um, whether it's writing or with my website development, and I get focused on it. And I know that my posture slips and that I lean forward and that I'm like slumped down sometimes. And... Um, you know, there's all kinds of other things. So I, I adjusted my desk position. I have this footrest that doubles as a mat for when I'm standing. Um, and yeah, just really taking another look at 
all of that, all of my positioning and especially with the reading. Because I think that was probably more of a culprit than anything else. Because I I just, I've been binging some series and I, I've been finding decent things to read. You know, sometimes I'll wade into a reading desert where I'll, you know, quit three or four books in a row, like, uh, you know, DNF them. So read the first couple chapters and then be like, mm, not feeling it next. So yes, everyone stay healthy, stay safe, stay ergonomically correct to the best of your ability so that you can have the health that you need to do whatever you want to do. And so it's not so bad as it's actually preventing me from typing or anything. It is an incredibly weird feeling uh, and it's unpleasant, but it's not actively painful. But I, obviously, I want to stop it before it gets worse. And finally, new podcast alert. Uh, friend of the show, Elodie Novodatsky, it has a new podcast. It is called A Self-Published Author's Diary. And she has a lovely French accent that you can listen to in your ear as if you subscribe to her podcast. I will put the link in the show notes, but you can go to a selfpublishedauthorsdiary.com to find her podcast. Uh, she's a listener of the show and... I'm happy to know that I was one of her inspirations, and I've been listening to their first few episodes, so I enjoy them. I would recommend them if you were interested in this sort of genre of, of author diary type of podcasts. Um, you know, she her publishing journey is really interesting because she's French originally, and she has a lot of foreign language, like translations and books and um, dual versions, and is just doing really cool stuff. So check that out. And another podcast that I've been meaning to mention and have forgotten, but they recently joined the Frolic Podcast Network, is the Dear Romance Writer Podcast. So this is hosted by Avery Flynn, Rowan Parrish, and Zio Axelrod. They are three amazing romance writers. And it's sort of like a Dear Abby, like you write in with your romantic entanglements and problems, and they give you dubious advice from romance writers. <laughs> but um, it's a fun show, so I would recommend that. That's DearRomanceWriter.com. The podcast world is increasing. I, I, my podcast listening is like ebbing and flowing. Also, I'm trying to listen to more audiobooks as a way to rest my arms. And I'm having a love hate relationship. I don't know if I say love hate. I don't love it. <laughs> it's, it's helpful for like my body, but I can't sink into an audiobook, like a fiction audiobook, the way that I do when I read. It's a very different experience. And I am continuing to try it to see if it will get better. But it's like, I don't know if I enjoy the books as much. And I wonder if I would have enjoyed them more if I read them and I felt completely immersed in the world. Anyway, that is it for me for this week. My goals for this week are to complete my, or maybe not complete, but continue in the tweaks and revisions to the heist manuscript and to start the fast drafting, the new paranormal romance shifter book. Um and continue with the marketing. I'm starting to market Requiem of Silence, which comes, out, which comes out in four months. And thinking about that, thinking about novellas, a lot on my plate, a lot going on to my scheduling and my project management system. But it's all good stuff and it's all really exciting. So I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate your rating and review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more podcasts you'll love, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>